Hi, everybody. Welcome into localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm Tim Muma, and you're listening to Management Decisions. And now for this episode, we're going to look at talent acquisition metrics. Now, I'm sure if you're in the area of hiring, you understand a little bit what this is about. But we're going to talk with our guest today to get some more details on what truly is important. Her name is Emily Gordon. She's the Director of Implementation and Sourcing for 7-Step RPO. Emily, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to, to get talking to you guys. Well, yeah, and it's an interesting topic, the idea of metrics. Obviously, a lot of people are interested in it and they want to find out more, especially if you're in the world of hiring and, and trying to figure out what works best. I want to ask you, though, when we talk about acquisition metrics, how do you describe that? How would you really break it down for listeners in general terms? Sure. I think the best way to look at it is to think about what indicators you're looking for. So you're looking for ways to manage your business and to make sure that you know what you're doing is effective and impactful. And I think you always look for metrics to be indicators of things are either going in the right direction or not. So trends and over time versus you know knee-jerk, kind of that anecdotal gut reaction that people tend to go to when they don't have the data. Sure. Well, and that's the interesting part with the data is uh, it kind of gives you the number to the value that you want to find out. Have you seen this changed a lot in the last, say, 10, 15 years since you really got started? Sure. I think, well, first of all, it was manual before. So <laughs> right, the nice thing right. is now we have, we have a lot, a lot of, of ways to capture data. That can unfortunately be some of the tricky part is the way that people define the criteria that they're measuring and when it's captured, how it's captured, and making sure that it's, it's accurate is, is really tricky. Manual data is always you know, scary because it, it can be missed um, mm-hmm. or there can be mistakes, but the same can be true with data that pulls from any ATS or um, applicant tracking system. Sorry any place that people are, are putting numbers in, if they're not defined and the criteria is not correct or everybody doesn't agree on the definition of that criteria, sure. that's where it can really get tricky, um, even though it's, it's automated. And we'll get into some detailed aspects of it here, uh, ones that you see as being really important and that people who are involved with this would see as vital. One last thing kind of in the general spectrum, do you ever fear that you're getting to the point of too much information kind of overload and you're not even sure how you can analyze all of it at once? I think so. And I think it can also just really be distraction from what the overall goal of the work is. Hmm. And so I think a lot of times when, when you get a bunch of numbers and a bunch of data points, people get distracted by, you know, the, the charts and the graphs and they're, they're not having the conversations right. around what, what the goal is for the business. Well, let's try to give our listeners a little bit of inside knowledge and what you would see as being some of those more important aspects. What would you point to as maybe one of the key metrics that you think that employers and anyone involved in this area really should focus on? One of the larger ones that people should focus on is return on investment in terms of sources that they are using. Okay. There's so much money that is spent every year in the way that we go about trying to capture and attract talent. You know, you hear things about talent community. Obviously, there are the major job boards. There are, you know, databases and groups and sheets and resume books. There's, there's, there are millions of ways that people are trying to, to attract talent, but we don't spend as much time actually measuring the effectiveness of that as I think that we need to. And there's just so much cost there. Mm-hmm. And as an example, you know, when you think of source of hire, there are very few people who have the line of sight to where their applicants are actually coming from. There are a lot of tools out there now that people purchase to layer in so that they can do that. But then they don't go to the, the next step of actually putting the tags in or the links or you know, it breaks and it's hard to fix. So they just stop doing it. And you know, they're annual contracts for the most part. So people don't always take the time until, you know, it's ready to renew to see if it's effective where, you know, all along the way, you know, our goal is to really to, you know, cultivate and evolve what it is that we are, um, we're working with from a tools perspective Mm -hmm. and to try to make sure that it's working client to client type of job to type of job. 
and it's not just one size fits all. So it's, it's really important to measure where your source of hire and source of applicants are coming from and, and what that cost is. Now, if you are able to keep a handle on that and track that initially, how do you go about then determining, you know, comparing one area to another? How do you really bring those numbers together where you can make a fair comparison? A lot of things that we do look at, say we send out an email campaign to a group of candidates who have indicated they want to be a part of a talent community. We're simply looking at how many of those people actually click on the email and open it mm-hmm. all the way through to, you know, how do they start to apply? Do they to apply to a different job? Okay. And then we'll also do that by job title. As an example, we may optimize and say, this, we called it a, uh, you know, a sales position or we call it a business development position. And how did that, did that work or not? And so we do everything from optimization to where we sent it, what time of day we sent it, if we can track that with some, some places we can, which is great. So that's, that's part of it. The other part of it would be the types of positions that we're recruiting. Okay. We may, you know, what may work for a sales position may not work for a chemist. And so we would then look at the places that we are, are putting that information out or where we're trying to pull applicants from, the types of groups and the way that email structured. Some people like text messages, some people like you know, email blasts, and some people want a phone call. And just, sure. It's getting to know, and you have to just test. Unfortunately, it takes a lot, a lot of work and a lot of, a lot of diligence in terms of researching the, the impact. And I love that side of it. You mentioned they're breaking it down to the point of, you know, which industry responds to this type of communication and what will really work in this area. I think that is, uh, I think that is fascinating. And as you said, it's a lot of work on the front end, but I'm sure it'll pay off if you can follow through with that. Another area that I wanted to touch on was time to fill. What, what does that mean exactly? And, and how do you look at that as being an important metric to follow? Sure. Well, time to fill is, again, that's one of those tricky ones where people often measure it differently if they measure it at all. So Mm -hmm. time to fill is how long it takes from a time an opening exists to the time that somebody's in that seat in general. Some people measure it in from the time that a recruiter starts working on the opening. So it may have existed six months prior to getting approved, you know, who knows. Right. And then um, to the time the person accepts the position. So again, that definition is going to be important. But let's just say for, for sake of discussion, it's the time the position is vacant or created to the time that somebody is able to start. And that's important for a lot of reasons. As you trend, you know, and you're able to say, okay, in, in a certain location for a maintenance position, it takes us 65 days on average to fill that. If your plant can't operate without that maintenance position filled, you know that you have, you know, that much of a, of a problem, right? So you have 65 days or whatever it would be mm-hmm. to be concerned. That then indicates that you have to do a lot of succession planning, a lot of, you know, those types of, of development of your internal uh, staff so that you're prepared when and if something like that were to happen. Sure. So that basic operational need. There's the other part of a hiring manager who comes to you and says, you know, it's been three weeks and I haven't filled my position. And you say, absolutely, you know, absolutely. And and we're sorry. And I know that's painful. However, did you know last time we filled this position, it took us 120 days and here's why. And and again, it's an indicator as to to what it's going to take to fill this position. It also shows you how valuable people in those positions are, not just from, you know, getting the work done, but what it's going to cost you at a vacancy perspective. Sure. And again, it, it also helps you understand how important it is to continually recruit and have a bench of people that you're, you're networking with, helping your hiring managers have those types of networks, as well as, again, just setting a level playing field at the beginning when you, when you do have that opening come about to say, you know, last time we worked on this, here's what happened. Here's how we filled it. That's good. But it did take, you know, 60 days, 90 days, 45 days. So um, don't be alarmed if by next Saturday, you know, we're not sending out the offer paperwork. Could the amount of time that you're seeing there, again, if you said, you know, it's consistent and you're measuring it from the same, you know, point A to point B, could that show an indication of a problem with the process or a problem with something else other than, I mean, I guess you go anywhere with it, but what other problems could that possibly show? 
sure. I think so. Yeah. So it's not just always, it's hard, right? Nobody wants to hear that. That's right. why we have jobs. But, you know, it's, it's also could be that the offer process is too long. Hmm. It could be that we have too many people have to interview one person to make a decision. You know, sometimes you'll have interview panels that are seven to 10 people. Right. And if all those people aren't available, you're just, you know, delaying it. So it's really important to measure how long people are in each of the steps that they are throughout your process so that your overall time to fill is an indicator of, of absolutely the effectiveness of your process, the streamline, and to maybe investigate if there is a place where you could shave some of that down. Another area that you brought up uh, when we kind of communicated before the show was the idea of satisfaction rating. And I, I found that as curious because it seems like that's something that, I don't know, in my mind, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily look at and, or be concerned about. Why do you see that as being an important factor? I think it's critical, especially as social media and brand is so prevalent. It's easy for people to communicate when they aren't happy. Hmm. And your employment brand is as important as your brand. And, and often people don't necessarily think about that in the forefront. We do because it's our business. And our, our goal is to help any of our clients to create a, a strong brand. And, and so satisfaction is an indicator of that. How likely is someone to refer a friend of theirs? How do they feel going through your interview process? You hear that kind of black hole mentality in recruiting, right. you know, I never heard back. You know, mm-hmm. that's awful. And we, we do a lot with the Candidate Experience Awards in order to measure satisfaction for our customers about people going through the process and how they, they felt about it. And, and the goal is there to really find out, not just from people who got jobs, right, or people who hired, but from people who didn't get the job, how they felt about their experience and whether or not they felt they were treated fairly, whether or not they felt like it was still a good company, whether they'd try again. A lot of times you're not going to get the hire or that person may not get the first job that they apply to. Mm-hmm. And we have tons of stories where, you know, getting someone into that talent community and having them feel good about the, the brand helped them take the fifth or sixth job that they actually applied to wow. that we finally needed them for. It, it just happens that way. So you don't want to tarnish your brand by a bad experience. You're not going to know what your experience is unless you ask. And a lot of times people just don't do that. I agree. I think that's a great way to look at it. Uh, you know, so many times we hear, of course, from job seekers all the time that, I have no idea what happened. I don't know why this didn't work out or, you know, I I have no way of explaining to them why I didn't want to take the job. So I think that is great. And as you mentioned, the negative side usually comes out more strongly in public. So it sounds like this is a way that you can at least get a better handle on, okay, is this accurate or is this just one or two people kind of shouting out there? Again, yeah, it's all about the trends as an indicator for, you know, paying attention to something that's going on and and may not know exactly what from one or two answers. Right. But if you start to look and and people say it took, you know, six weeks for me to hear from anybody or I got an email, but it was very general. I didn't really know what else I could do. Wish I would have been able to speak to somebody. Those are all things that help you just become better at at attracting top talent and actually getting them to want to come back until you find the right fit for them, too. So it's, it's mutually beneficial. On the other side, the hiring managers have to have to be able to feel like they have a voice too. A lot of times hiring is something that's done to them um, <laughs> instead of done with them or for them. And so the goal is to partner with them and make them ambassadors for the brand and also to help you cultivate their personal networks and, and to really bring in the best people they can. They don't feel like they're proud of that process or if it's just something they have to live through each time they have an opening, it usually is, is just that much harder. Sure. One other area that caught my eye as we're getting a little close on time here was the idea of new growth versus attrition rates. Why do you see that as having such value and why it is something that people should be looking into? Absolutely. New growth is, is great. That means things in the business are, are continuing to, to go forward and, and you're, you know, that's the health of the business. That's good. Mm-hmm. The attrition piece is, is important to take a look at because there is some attrition that, we, that is okay. Certainly, every company is okay with a certain level of voluntary or involuntary you know, turnover. Right. But the, the goal is to make sure that it doesn't become an issue. Again, if you look at your employment brand, what are people who used to work for you saying? 
and also just the cost of trying to fill and, and, and refill the same position because you're not getting the right profile in the door. So there's a lot of assessments that people take. There are a lot of ways that we screen people out in the front end. But through the interview process, if we're not catching people and we're turning people over in the first you know, 90 to 120 days mm-hmm. or even in the first year, those aren't good hires. You know, For whatever reason, whether the employee who took the job thought it was a different job that they were getting and isn't happy, or whether the manager thought they were getting a different candidate or a different employee and they're not happy. Uh, so somewhere along that process, there's, there's something we need to do either, again, with a different type of screening, asking more questions, asking less questions and doing you know, more assessments. It, it's, again, just going to let you know that your, your overall hiring is, is healthy instead of you know, just picking who's the best fit for the time and, and, and going from there. Emily, good stuff. Uh, as I said, I want to give you the floor here at the end. Just uh, if you were to offer up any last piece of advice, maybe just the importance of what we're talking about today or how you think people could take a nice positive step in the direction of keeping an eye on those metrics, what would you offer up as we leave the show today? I would say to anyone who is, is trying to design what it is that they should or shouldn't measure, it is really asking yourself why you're measuring it and then what you're going to be able to do with that information afterwards. It's not one size fits all. Everybody measures you know, some similar metrics, but really for your organization, what is it that you're trying to solve for? And are you able to, to measure it and then you know, have a plan of what you're going to do afterwards? I think the most important thing is to make sure that it, it is helping your business drive the right behaviors so that you can have a, a healthy hiring process. All right. That sounds like a good spot to close out this edition. Emily, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your insights with us. Thank you so much. Once again, that was Emily Gordon, the Director of Implementation and Sourcing for 7-Step RPO, as you've been talking about talent acquisition metrics, both their value and some of the details and examples of how you can improve your process. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this show or any of our podcasts, go ahead and send an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter at the LJN. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. Take care.